morning, Africa, and welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Bungani in Washington. Today is Thursday, May the 26th, and here are some of the stories we're covering for you this morning. The Rwandan government has started investigations into the cross-border shelling last Monday from neighboring Democratic Republic of the Congo. This man says they were lucky to see their soldiers immediately coming into their neighborhood. It at least gave them hope that the government was with them. And Kenya's presidential aspirant, Raila Odinga, has increased his poll numbers after naming former member of parliament, Martha Karua, as his running mate in the upcoming elections in August. Once she brings in uh, the issue of gender, you saw the excitement across the country. The women were very excited. And uh, that adds the numbers. And Somalia's prime minister has suspended his foreign affairs minister over allegations that he authorized an illegal shipment of charcoal to Oman. We'll have those stories and more coming up right here on Daybreak Africa. And for our top story... The Rwandan government says that it has initiated a thorough investigation into the cause of cross-border shelling last Monday from neighboring Democratic Republic of the Congo. Rockets landing in northern Rwanda injured many residents and destroyed property. Eugene Uwimana has more. For residents of Musanza district, it was frightening to hear the blast. This woman says it was very scary to hear rockets falling in her neighborhood without knowing where they came from or who was firing them. She says for her and her neighbors, it was very difficult to go back home after the incident. They were fearing it could happen again anytime. This man says they were lucky to see their soldiers immediately coming into their neighborhood. It at least gave them hope that the government was with them. But he says he's still afraid. According to the Rwanda Defense Force, the rockets came from the Democratic Republic of Congo from a fight that involved the Congolese Army, FRDC, and the UN peacekeeping mission MONISCO with the rebel group M23 in the forest of eastern DRC. Rwanda's Interior Minister Alfred Gassana says the government has asked the DRC to stop such activities which affect its security. He says what they immediately did was to talk to their DRC counterparts and showed them how their military activities are jeopardizing Rwanda's security. He says they then asked them to never let it happen again and wants to assure residents as well. He says Rwandans are focused on developing the country and they don't want to be disturbed. The number of injured residents is not yet known and destroyed properties have not been revealed. But Minister Gasana says the government is going to step in and help affected residents so they don't backslide on what he calls their development journey. He says they know properties have been destroyed and people were injured. He says he came to give the affected people hope that the government is going to intervene and make sure that none of their development efforts are going to be undone by the incident. A statement issued by Rwanda's Ministry of Defense on Monday said it has asked the expanded joint verification mechanism to investigate any attacks on its territory. The EGVM is a group of military experts 
from the region that monitors and investigates security incidents. Since March, M23 rebels have been fighting the armies of Uganda and the DRC, trying to seize many parts of the eastern DRC. Ejen Uimana for VOA News, Kigali, Rwanda. Kenya's presidential aspirant Raila Odinga has increased his poll numbers after naming former member of parliament Martha Karua as his running mate in elections in August. Analysts say her presence in Odinga's camp is a big win for his Azimio Laumoja coalition. Moreno Jambo reports. A new poll by Trends and Insights for Africa shows a gain for Odinga after former Prime Minister El Odinga named Martha Karua as his running mate. Odinga is leading with 39% as Deputy President William Ruto, the head of the United Democratic Alliance, dropped to 35%. Political analyst Martin Andati says Odinga's numbers might increase more due to his choice for Karua. She will be able to bring in uh, quite a number of uh, support, uh, especially the people who are undecided. She adds more value on that ticket than uh, Gashagwa adds to Ruto's ticket. And look at the numbers. Any poll that is going to be conducted, maybe two weeks from now, you will see Raila's numbers. So that will be the impact of the choice of uh, running. The 64-year-old Martha Karua has served in the male-dominated Kenyan parliament for 20 years from 1992 to 2013. Karua, who is also an advocate of social justice, lost in the 2013 presidential election. And that he says the only people who may not like Karua's nomination are business people who do not want to follow the law. Then she has very serious uh, reform credentials. And, and her track record in terms of uh, standing for what she believes is all out there for all and sundry to see. So she is, uh, once she brings in uh, the issue of gender, you saw the excitement across the country. The women were very excited, and uh, that adds the numbers. She brings in uh, the reform credentials because uh, the civil society will be very keen. She is one of their own. It g- creates an opportunity for some of the issues that uh, the civil society has wanted, uh, have wanted addressed. Regarded as Kenya's Iron Lady, tough-talking and very principled, in 2001, she walked out of the meeting with the late President Daniel Moy after one of his local chairmen insulted the opposition, of which she was a member. Eight years later, Karua resigned as a Minister for Justice and Constitutional Affairs from the cabinet of President Mwai Kibaki after claiming interference from his administration. It is a moment that my late grandmother, one of the most instrumental women in my life, would have been proud of, but she would not have been surprised because generations of women have fought for space in the decision-making table. Women's organizations in Kenya have since celebrated Karua's appointment in the main political coalition, saying it's a big win for women. Zipporah Kitoni is a former nominated senator in Kenya and a women's rights advocate. It has taken us a long time, but today we've broken the history. We have a woman, and when I look at the history, eighth parliament, we were only nine women. With Karua's tough stance on women's rights and democracy, analyst Anati says her relationship with Odinga will be good despite their past differences. 
He said in 2013 that Raila needs to retire with President uh, Kibaki. Because there are things he felt that uh, Kibaki had done his bit. Raila seemed to have a challenge, and she had a feeling that uh, he should have exited then. But, you know, they, they, they have differed on ideology, but uh, some of the stance on some of those issues, they are uh, aligned. If Odinga and Karua win the polls, Karua would become Kenya's first female deputy president. Reporting for viewers Daybreak Africa, I am Moreno Jambo in Sacramento, California. Somalia's prime minister has suspended his foreign affairs minister over allegations that he authorized an illegal shipment of charcoal to Oman. The Somali government banned charcoal exports a decade ago to prevent deforestation and funding of conflicts. However, analysts say that the shipment was not the real reason for the suspension. Mohamed Sheknu reports from the Somali capital, Mogadishu. The suspension of Foreign Affairs Minister Abdi Saeed Musa is equivalent to a dismissal and came after he authorized a ship to leave Somalia carrying a load of charcoal. The shipment violated Somalia's laws preventing charcoal exports. However, Musa's suspension was longer expected because Prime Minister Mohamed Hussein Roble is expected to be replaced by incoming Somali President Hassan Sheikh Mahmoud. Farhan Isaac, Deputy Director of Somali Public Agenda, a research group based in Mogadishu, noticed that Musi was close to outgoing Somali President Mohamed Abdullahi Farmajo and had ignored letters from the Prime Minister, including one that fired African Union Special Envoy to Somalia, Francisco Madera. <laughs> Isaac says the suspension could be seen as a result of poor cooperation between the Minister of Foreign Affairs and the Prime Minister. He says we know that Minister was the National Security Advisor to the outgoing President and with the confidence of the President he was later appointed Foreign Minister. Apparently, he says, the minister did not report to the prime minister and did not listen to his suggestions. Isaac says the export of charcoal is a highly sensitive issue in Somalia because makers of charcoal cut down trees and cause damage to the environment. He says it is illegal to export and lock coal in Somalia because it contributes to land degradation drought and famine. Somalia is semi-arid, he says, so logging forests will exacerbate desertification. Hassan Sheikh, a professor who teaches at Somalia's university, says Musa's action sends a bad signal. He says, I find it particularly regrettable that some people are still involved with logging trees in Somalia let alone a government official, such as the foreign minister, to permit a ship to carry charcoal to Oman. He says that will certainly encourage those who were discouraged to continue logging the trees. The professor noted that charcoal exports were banned by both the Somalia government and the United Nations Security Council in 2012 and that UN monetaries are particularly vigilant about enforcing the ban. He says among the UN monitoring group's work is the ban on charcoal, which threatens Somalia's environment, 
as it continues to become a desert because Somalia is progressing toward this desert. It is still a mystery why the Foreign Affairs Minister authorized an illegal jackal export, but it is no secret that many Somali politicians take advantage of transitions between administrations by putting their own interests ahead of the general publics. Hamishagnur for VOA News, Mogadishu, Somalia. You're listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. This Wednesday was Africa Day. This day is a commemoration of the foundation of the Organization of African Unity, now African Union, on 25th May of 1963. And some Africans say although the day is worth a celebration, that African Union has itself failed to live to its expectations of fostering democracy peace and development on the continent and we have some opinions from our listeners about Africa Day and the African Union. My name is Munira Suwed. I'm a Ugandan, a proud African. Um, to me African Day is a day where Africans come together and they appreciate themselves as a race that can as well stand on its own and um, I believe uh, as Africans, we have a diversity of uh, culture, we have uh, a beautiful culture, and uh, this day is worth being remembered because uh, it's a day that we appreciate ourselves as a race. Mm. The African Union, basically, it has well and good, it has brought the African countries together. But at the same time, uh, looking at... Uh, its primary role, first of all, for its formation. If we are to look at trade, we see countries are not respecting this. I can just give a clear example of Uganda and Kenya. You go to buy wheat from Kenya or sugar, you will not be able to cross with it to Uganda. So what does it mean? It's not standing up to its mandate. Why was it there in the first place? And looking at democracy... We have, in the region, we, we currently have several countries that are at war. For instance, we have Mali. The conflict in Mali, the African Union has failed to come up with a solution to this. And we are seeing instead countries from outside Africa trying to come to attempt to solve the African problem. But I believe it's Africans who can solve their problem not any other person outside Africa. Uh, my name is Andrew Kagwa. I'm an arts and culture journalist. Uh, for the past few years, Africa Day was always that day that I get to celebrate African art uh, in different ways. Sometimes we organize pop-up at exhibitions, sometimes we have performances with people, but most of the times we organize uh, film screenings, African film screenings. Uh, one, I feel like it's a bit sad that um, for many people they need May 25th to remember that they are Africans because I feel like we should be able to 
to remind ourselves every day of the week, every day of the month, or probably every day of the year that we Africans and we be proud of it and we celebrate who we are. I'm Kolo Bosch George. I'm a school bus of Kabong Secondary School. The African Day is a day where we deliberate ourselves, where we are independently, independent economically and also socially. To a small extent, African Union is really is doing their job. Really, because some Africans have, been, have gotten some democracy, at least in some countries. My name is Miriam Igbra. I work for Karamojo Peace and Development Agency. And African Day is worth celebrating because as Africans, it really reminds us of who we are. So it's really worth celebrating as a day for us. So um, everyone that is an African, be it within Africa or out of Africa, must always have it in mind and always at least delegate his or her time to celebrate this day. Those were some voices from our listeners regarding the Africa Day and the African Union. You're listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. West Africa in Nigeria, where police in Katsina State in northwestern Nigeria have sent reinforcements to a local village where armed bandits killed 12 people and destroyed farmland on Tuesday. Meanwhile, the Nigerian military investigates the killing of over 50 farmers in Bono State on Sunday, as Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja. Katsina State Police spokesperson Gambo Isa said security operatives were deployed to Gokardi village and its environs to restore calm immediately after the Tuesday attack. He also said the state's police commissioner visited the area and assured residents that police are on top of the matter. Armed gangs on motorcycles invaded Gokardi early Tuesday shooting and killing at least 12 residents. Isa said the victims included local farmers who tried to take cover on their property. He also said the attackers burned their farmland. The attack comes days after some 50 farmers were reportedly killed Sunday in Ran, a town in northern Borno State. That has been blamed on the Islamic State West Africa province ISWAP, an offshoot of terror group Boko Haram. Kabir Ibrahim is the president of the All Farmers Association of Nigeria. There is a very serious nexus between insecurity and security, and this has been on for a very long time. And uh, in fact, that's why we are in uh, deep uh, problems of, of feeding our, our people. You know, we have a serious uh, shortage now of food items, and that's why they are very costly. This week, the African Development Bank, AFDB, announced it had secured approval for a $1.5 billion emergency food production plan to support 20 million farmers in Nigeria and other African countries. The initiative will provide farmers with seed and fertilizer and post-harvest support. The AFDB's president, Akin Wumiadejina, said the aim is for Africa to reduce dependence on imports. The fighting between Russia and Ukraine has caused significant food shortages in Africa. The program is delivering climate-smart seeds, fertilizers, 
allowing farmers to harvest higher yields of wheat, corn, rice, and other staples. The total value of the additional food production is 12 billion US dollars. Kabir Ibrahim welcomes the AFDB's initiatives, but says Nigeria first needs to address security problems. This development will definitely be in the way of our farmers accessing their farms. Nobody will go where they will be slaughtered. So those areas and other areas will be very, very difficult for our farmers to go to. Therefore, food security is endangered in, in many ways. The United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization estimates that nearly 20 million people across Nigeria will face food shortages between June and August of this year. Timothy Obizu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. Flood victims in South Africa's port city of Durban had yet to recover from last month's historic rain when another storm hit this weekend. Victims and experts say it's a signal that better urban planning is needed to protect residents and their livelihoods from future extreme weather. Linda Giftash reports from Durban, South Africa. It has been over a month since historic floods in South Africa's eastern province of KwaZulu-Natal made nearly 7,000 people homeless. But their numbers are growing as heavy rains and repeat floods hit the port city of Durban last weekend, destroying more homes and damaging temporary shelters. Emily Hector is a community leader in the Durban township of Umlazi and is supporting a shelter in a community hall. It's not getting better, it's getting worse. So if it happens... For the rain to come back again so that means we won't have a, a shelter to accommodate to accommodate other people because the people the, the halls right now it's overloaded kuzulu natal officials say at least 250 people were evacuated from shelters south african federal authorities earmarked 63 million dollars for cleanup and rebuilding while funds are also coming in from various levels of government and aid groups but victims say they haven't been told when they will get to move to longer-term housing. 28-year-old flood victim Masponge Dlamini lived in an informal settlement in Umlazi. We don't have another space. If we do, we will try by all means to escape for or escape to that place directly. We will not gonna go to a hall whereby you will sleep uh, with uh, many people. As far as we are here, we because it's because we don't have. A choice we don't have another places. Experts are calling South Africa's severe weather damage a wake-up call for better disaster management in the face of climate change. Elise LaRue is a senior researcher for the Institute for Security Studies in Pretoria. I think it shows us that we are definitely not prepared for even worse storms than what we see now. And to be clear, what climate change will do is it will shift these systems even more. So we need to be prepared for seeing what we saw on a more regular basis. So more often we will see these types of flooding. But experts say rebuilding from damage like South Africa's flooding is also an opportunity to safeguard from future extreme weather. LaRue's advice includes keeping homes and infrastructure out of floodplains, developing more precise early warning systems, and having clear evacuation plans. We need to think about restoring ecological infrastructure. So upstream, ensuring that we manage our basins, our water basins, adequately and rightly enough so that we actually mitigate flooding. We also need to think about the vulnerabilities within communities. So things like addressing poverty, 
the systemic drivers of why people are locating on these high-risk spaces. Many of the South African flooding victims lived in informal settlements on city outskirts with poor infrastructure. They say more public housing inside the cities would be safer, offer better access to public services, and prevent more people from ending up homeless. Linda Giftash for VOA News, Durban, South Africa. And for our final story, African countries raised an objection on Tuesday to a U.S.-led proposal to reform the International Health Regulations, IHR, a move that delegates say might prevent passage at the World Health Organization's annual assembly. The United States has proposed 13 IHR reforms which seek to authorize the deployment of expert teams to contamination sites and the creation of a new compliance committee to monitor implementation of the rules. The draft proposal yet to be formally decided is seen as the first step in a broader IHR reform process and would aim to change the Article 59 that would speed up the implementation for future reforms from 24 to 12 months. African Group expressed reservations, saying that all reforms should be tackled together as part of a holistic package at a later stage. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. Until next time.